there is a lot of pent up innovation waiting for an outlet. I was speaking to somebody about pandemics in general and uh, talking about the Spanish flu from the last century and how after the Spanish flu, there was an absolute explosion of creativity and innovation. We were talking mostly about art, but you could say the same thing for business, I believe. And I actually think that post-pandemic, we're going to see another explosion of innovation. Entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship, innovation is as much art as it is maybe based in science, but it's somebody that has the vision to apply their knowledge in a new and and novel way that hasn't been thought of before. And, And to me, what's more artful than that? Hey, this is Danny, and welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. You know, we're not just another boring finance or procurement podcast. We explore the sometimes challenging stories and learnings when people, spend, and organizations meet, and how to drive sustainable growth while still balancing control and agility. We have vulnerable, honest, and raw conversations with only the most forward-thinking CFOs, finance executives, and procurement leaders who are challenging the status quo, that the way we've done it is just not enough. This is Spend Culture Stories. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Spend Culture Stories. Today, we have joining us Pamela Steer. She is the Chief Financial and Corporate Strategy Officer at Payments Canada. As a member of the executive management team, Pamela has overall responsibility for overseeing the financial and corporate planning functions of the organization. I'm super excited to welcome Pamela as she is also a finance executive with a wide range of experience, including companies ranging from high-tech startups to large regulated quasi-government industries. And she's well-versed in both the public and private financial sectors. And Pamela is also very involved with council work, and she sits on multiple boards, including the CFA Society of Toronto, Toronto's Investment Board, and the Global Advisory Council for the Accountability for Sustainability Project. Very exciting. Also, in 2019, um, Pamela was awarded Canada CFO of the Year. So it's definitely my pleasure to welcome you, Pamela. And thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Well, thank you, Danny. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. I wish I was there in person on the, the West Coast, and I hope for better things in 2021, of course, as we close out 2020 and all its strange, wonderful awfulness. Yes, same here. And it would be really nice to finally meet you in person as I do travel to Toronto sometimes, but obviously this year it couldn't happen. Well, let's get started then. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background and your journey into finance. How did you get started and maybe give the audience a little bit of an overview? Well, it's a good story. It actually goes back to um, high school, really. So a long time ago now, uh, an accounting teacher really recommended that I go into finance. I just seemed to have uh, a natural ability for that subject matter. And so that's exactly what I did in university. I studied economics and then finance and honed in on finance and accounting ultimately and getting my designations, uh, CFA and CA, uh, now CPA, of course, and really then broadening as I enjoy not just accounting. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big accounting fan. Um, I love business. I love businesses. I love uh, transformation and people. And so that's kind of my journey has 
has spanned from finance roles to operations roles and back again, because I really do see the intersection and the importance of knowledge of finance and uh, financial matters. And then applying that in a business sense uh, to the business is, is always wonderful. And dealing with clients and people, of course, is a, a huge, a huge aspect of what I do. Yeah, and that's amazing. And I love your wide variety of experience as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of the audience can relate to your experience in both like the private sector and also in the um, public sector as well. For sure. I enjoy the the change aspect. And that's certainly been, um, I call it the tie that binds my career because it has been a fairly non-traditional finance career or for a finance professional. And I've enjoyed the different opportunities that I've had throughout my career uh, from raising funds and being a super startup with just a few people and an idea to taking a larger organization public on the stock exchange to uh, and all the compliance elements that that requires, and then moving those skills into the transformational requirements and a regulated environment like at WSIB or Payments Canada now, which is very exciting to be part of that transformational journey and and bringing those skills and those transferable skills and moving them across industries and, and sectors of the economy has really been gratifying and enjoyable for me. Certainly, they offered some challenges early in my career because often with financial professionals, you're your pigeonholed or or anybody recruiting is looking for a certain type and a certain level of experience and it's often quite narrow and quite deep so having more breadth uh, can be a challenge earlier in a career however i found now that i've achieved an executive level that it's actually really benefited me in uh, being able to apply the breadth of my experience and knowledge in a number of areas of the economy two different businesses as um, as they move forward. You know, having that level of thinking from an innovation standpoint is very important too in, you know, government organizations as like, I think the perception is that government organizations, normally they're a little slower to change. Is that true with you? Um, are there any differences between public and private sector work that you've seen? Absolutely. There are some significant differences. And, and I, listen, I believe that all organizations, entities have significant challenges and opportunities that they have to deal with and certainly optimize. And I enjoy both. There are different challenges, though. Um, if you are at a publicly traded company, it is about growth, innovation, bottom line, sales, very, very important, often the most important element for a growing organization versus a regulated environment that, you know, WSIB had been around for um, over 100 years and Payments Canada has been just celebrated its 40th anniversary. And that government overlay policy is exceptionally important as is innovation, it takes different forms at times. However, certainly Payments Canada undergoing a huge modernization of all of its payment systems to bring them up to date and to offer new services to Canadians and Canadian businesses through through our members, the, the financial institutions in Canada is, is a huge challenge, huge innovation involved. 
and the oversight that we undergo is similar to a number of regulated industries with publicly traded companies or private sector companies, but it is different at the same time. And I, I find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And within Payments Canada, how does one normally make financial decisions and how would you describe the spend culture of Payments Canada? Well, it's an interesting environment. We are not for profit. We are uh, run or we are overseen by, created by act of parliament. And our members, our member institutions are by and large required to be members of Payments Canada. We collect fees based on uh, their membership as well as transactions that flow through our system. So a, a, a an amount per transaction or per hundred or thousand transactions, if you will. And the idea is to have a zero bottom line. And most years that's pretty understandable. And this year, obviously, as for many, many businesses and many of your listeners, very different environment, of course, hard to forecast and hard to make decisions. So the spend culture is looking at what makes sense? How do we move forward as an organization? What, how do we do right spending? We communicate and collaborate with our members in understanding their needs, our needs, and what makes sense as a, as a prudent course of action in terms of our transaction fees and our membership fees and uh, how to manage our spend accordingly within those constraints. Yeah, definitely. I think within, you know, especially this year, companies and organizations, they've definitely been more conscious about spending, even more so than before. You know, before we've seen, for example, startups um, spend it on sometimes frivolous things just to make sure that they're attracting the right talent sometimes. But this year, I feel like it's really a time where they really start asking the right questions on whether this is actually adding value to either their customers or their community or, you know, their employees. It's an excellent point, Danny, and certainly we were no difference and and we constrained our spending this year in a number of fronts. Some of it was enforced upon us as we reduced our travel to a trickle, as you would expect, and less opportunity for social events. However, we have invested more in mental health for our people and making sure that we do the right thing, making sure that that uh, our spend is appropriate for both the times as well as to attract and retain and and maintain the overall wellness of uh, our team, which is really, really important. Oh, definitely. I know with this whole remote work situation, some people are definitely not used to it. And without the human interaction, it gets really tough. And it's really hard to also communicate in a remote way when you're just adapting to it. That's right. And understanding that uh, in a crisis situation, everyone deals with it in a different way. I liked to say at the outset of the pandemic that it was really an acute, it was like a patient. So that acute time you've been injured and it's a short-term problem. And how do you deal with the short-term crisis nature of Um, communications and working with your teams and establishing really good remote work habits. And then uh, as we've gone along, it's become more like a chronic disease. And how do you deal with that? And and the mental toll that that takes is we still have objectives to achieve and move our programs forward. Um, It's taken quite a, 
a toll as it would on any organization and has, I believe. So that, that has been a big, uh, it's been a big advantage to us and a big learning opportunity for us as well as we've moved through and the importance of wellness and uh, regular communications and continuing to offer development opportunities in a remote way, ensuring that communications happen, uh, albeit remotely, how do we do that in, a, in a, an authentic and inclusive way to ensure that we meet everybody's needs because not everyone will want to communicate in the same manner. So offering different channels of communication has been really important to us. And it's been a really good learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. That is actually a really good point, Pamela. You know, people communicate differently. And also even when it comes to receiving feedback, for example, I like receiving feedback in a written way. So sometimes when people say it to me, I don't really know how to respond to them. That's not what I'm used to. And it gets even more prevalent when we're in a remote setting that people work differently. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I find, you know, I miss, I miss my colleagues. I really miss the interaction. I miss being with them. And it's a little more difficult to have the just drop by the office in a casual conversation. We do have, we use Google Suite, so we have chats and hangouts and that's helpful, but it's not the same. And if you want to just have a casual conversation, it's much more difficult difficult. And I find it's a little, um, I'm going to say contrived, like you have to set a meeting and you have to, so we've, we were already quite meeting heavy and now it's, it's gone even more extreme, I would say in, in this environment and checking in with people and remembering to, because it's, it's out of sight, out of mind a little bit, which is unfortunate, certainly learning for me individually, as well as for our organization. And I hope to do even better in the, in 2021. I am also pretty hopeful since now we have the vaccinations going in Canada. So hopefully we'll return to somewhat of a more normal status next year. Couldn't agree more. I've been telling people certainly recently, I'm uh, quite looking forward to kicking 2020's butt out the door and closing it firmly in its place and welcoming in 2021 with open arms. Absolutely. Same here. And speaking of 2021, I'm really curious on hearing about some of the new developments within Payments Innovation. So is there anything that Payments Canada is working on that, um, you know, customers and organizations should be very excited about? Well, yes, Danny. I mean, we we will be launching um, a new high value payment system called Lynx in 2021. It will be the, the first new system that we've had in uh, a couple of decades. It's very exciting. Uh, it it uh, is the system that when you do a wire, that's what flows over the high value system. And having that uh, new system in place will be really great for Canada. The, the truly exciting project that is coming into execution mode, though, is our real-time rail. And that's where more Canadians and Canadian businesses will really see the value of payments and how that can be leveraged within a business environment as we move to a much richer data standard. So if you think about payments currently, especially if you think about a small business, still often very heavily check driven when you go to pay the bills as a small business, you have the shoebox we all hear about as a small business. Uh, and large businesses too are often still very paper-based organizations. 
So moving to this new real-time rail, which is due to come out in late 2022 at this point, will offer businesses the opportunity to make many more electronic payments uh, directly to their suppliers, to their customers, as well as have the data travel with the payment, which will be such an important evolution in Canadians' ability to transact business and to track what's happening. And, and that will require uh, reimagining of the processes in the back office, as well as how you can leverage that as a competitive inf- uh, advantage in the front office. So on the sales side and on your supply chain side, if that is uh, an area of potential competitive advantage to your business. So that to me is absolutely exciting. And I look forward to being able to share more with the business community as that, uh, as the execution part of the program moves into uh, high gear starting in 2021. That's definitely really exciting because, you know, this year, a lot of businesses moved from that paper-based process to digital payments for the very first time. Like we've seen, as you mentioned, a lot of people who were using paper checks to now they have to think of a new solution since there's no other option. And shockingly, um, there's still companies using checks today. Like I've, I've talked to somebody who actually goes into the office maybe like once or twice a week just to make sure they're getting, you know, physical mail. So having developments like this and educating the public audience about what options are available, I think will really be transformational. I can't agree more. I mean, I'm at Payments Canada for that very reason. And I I think it's really exciting. And I'm looking forward to uh, sharing what's on the horizon with Corporate Canada and providing the opportunity to really leverage what the new systems will be able to offer and uh, and then Canadian businesses and Canadians will be able to receive through their financial institution provider. So before the payment rails are, before they are being launched, how can organizations best strengthen their op- operational excellence right now when it comes to payments? So what's important is preparing for the future of payments and getting ready and looking at your processes and and how will they change in a new environment with new potential opportunities for different ways to pay. And already, as you said, Danny, in the pandemic, more and more businesses have moved to digitalize their operations and move to electronic and workflow related accounts payable as an example, which obviously closely ties to payments or their supply chain. And a lot of organizations were still very paper run and have had to make the switch just to uh, continue operations in a, in a continuous way. And I think doing as much of that as possible to prepare for the great technology that's on its way will be really beneficial going forward. And then to start these programs or projects in organizations can take a long time to implement when you're reimagining processes uh, rather than, you know, what we used to call building a better buggy whip. There needs to be something better than that, certainly. But clearly um, taking, taking this new technology and reimagining processes and what they will look like instead of just taking what we have and making it a little bit better. This will be a revolutionary opportunity for for businesses. Absolutely. And I'm excited to see how companies will rethink payments transformation too in 2021. 
given that they've already done a good job with transformation in such a short amount of time, Mm -hmm. you know, next year, I feel like people will be even more open to this idea. Absolutely. Uh, And I I can't wait to see what um, innovation and competitiveness it spawns for the Canadian economy. I think it's going to be amazing. Definitely. Especially with this year being um, a down economy. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about your CFO Award of the Year in 2019. That's an amazing accomplishment. And, you know, um, as a woman to woman, we don't see a lot of, you know, women C-suite leaders out there being profiled as of recently. And I think, you know, you mentioned last time in our chat that this year has been a breakout year for women, which is great. So in the future, we're in 2021, how can women CFOs or women C-suite leaders really move forward in their careers and become standout? Well, I think it's really important that we not only help one another, I think actively helping one another, and this goes for the men as well, it's helping people be the best that they can be in their chosen field. And it's not just talking about it, but what do you actively do? What steps do you take to connect your team members, your uh, peers, your colleagues, with the rest of your network so that it becomes a virtuous circle. What can you do to help pay it forward if you're at a certain a certain stature in your career or in your profession? How can you actively not just say, hey, here's a connection, here's some assistance, but what can you actively do to promote in, in the industry your colleagues who are deserving and what steps do they need? What coaching do they need? I think the last time you and I spoke, Danny, we, we talked about imposter syndrome and whether that was more of a female thing. I think that it it seems to be a little more of a female issue that's certainly talked about a lot. I believe everybody suffers from it from in one respect or another, and it's showing that your skills shine and you can develop and move. You know, I I don't think I'm the best accountant on the planet. I don't think I'm the best communicator on the planet. I believe that I have a great uh, number of skills, but I'm not probably the best at anything. However, I've done reasonably well. I'm very proud of my accomplishment. I'm very proud of uh, being named CFO of the year for 2019. And I want to help others in my network. And I, I think I, I do quite active work in doing that uh, and promoting women and, and talking actively and openly about challenges that we all face as we want to move forward is really important to breaking down any of the issues and really talking about them, exposing them. And then how do we how do we, how do I, how have I worked forward? What are some of the mistakes that I have made that I hope that others don't and I'm happy to share? There are many. And what things have, have worked uh, and, and how do we move forward? It's about taking an active position rather than just a supportive or a passive position. That's really good advice, Pamela. I think a lot of us can really learn from that where what actions can you take today to help uplift somebody or empower somebody you know, and I think also the way that you mentioned being vulnerable and honest about your learnings, I feel like especially in the business world, sometimes we get so scared of sharing our blunders or our failures, you know, because um, a lot of times the spotlight is on the person who's already achieved it, but you don't really know the story behind all the achievements, what they've actually gone through. 
So being able to be more honest with that and sharing these stories, I feel like will really help other people see that, you know, even the people that we look up to, they're not really perfect. And it took time for them to get there as well. Yeah. And I've had that very conversation very recently, more than once talking about people see what's there. They don't necessarily see what's not there. And yes, I've had success Mm -hmm. and, and been recognized, which is wonderful. Many people don't understand the number of no's or rejections that I've had on that path. And I've still managed to have a good path. And I'm, I'm really proud of my successes, but I, I also recognize I've had a, a lot of failures that I share with people and I'm happy that um, people can learn from my issues and I continue to learn and develop Like you never, you never end that journey of learning and growth. And, and I think that's really important to learn from your mistakes. Don't, don't make the same one hopefully twice because there will be plenty more new ones to make and to learn from. And, and I encourage that in all of the, for all of the, the individuals that I mentor for team members, uh, you know, I think it's really validating to know that we're all in this together. We all make mistakes and we learn from them and move on. Absolutely. What would you say would be one of your biggest blunders within your career? And what did you learn from that? Oh, goodness. Um, I should have prepared better for that question. I, you know, there, there have been many, I would say some was not anticipating issues that might come up in a, in a board meeting or with a, um, with a client that maybe I should have been better prepared for. That's, you know, certainly one and just failures in general, you know, when we go for positions and jobs, Often the answer is no, but you have to try. You don't get to yes unless you put your hand up and try. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, one of, I would say one of my blunders was thinking that I should have, well, and I did make a decision to stay at an organization probably longer than I should have. And I, somebody called me and said, hey, we'd like you to um, apply for this job. And it would have been a really, I'm going to say prestigious position for me. And at the time I was in the midst of doing what I thought was really great work. And I said, no, I have more to accomplish. I mean, that that's a great thing to do, but I also think, oh, you know, maybe I should have put my hand up. It would have been a big step, but maybe I should have done it because that, that opportunity may not come around again in my career. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard situation to be in because sometimes you, you feel you know, comfortable and you feel like there's room to grow in your current organization, but then uh, some organization comes in and you don't really know what to do in this aspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it happens. So, I mean, lots of failures, making, making mistakes early in my career and uh, probably not handling them as well as I should have learning maturity over time. I mean, that never ends, I think. So I didn't, I didn't give you the one you asked for the biggest, but uh, there, there are many. And I, I think that's an important thing to to realize too for somebody like me. It wasn't just one stumble and and it was over and then everything was all roses. I think there are stumbles all the way along and it's it's how you how you pick yourself up from that and move forward is really what maybe separates uh, individuals who do go on to have more success uh, than others. I love that answer, Pamela. And sorry for putting you on the spot with that question. That was a good one. Yeah. 
And I do see that, um, you know, some of the most successful people that I've met, including yourself, it's about the attitude in which you face fear of failure, not about really what the failure was. So I'm really glad we talked about that. Great. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about payments innovation. I know we talked a little bit more about AP departments and also going from checks to digital. So Square, PayPal, and digital currencies such as Bitcoin and Ethereum have been popping up recently. And even in the past 10 years or so, you know, we've heard about PayPal as one of the first, I guess, portals so that people can pay their merchants in the digital way, which was really exciting. So what do you see in the future of payments? Do you think there's any new technologies that will be coming in either in 2021 or beyond? Oh, absolutely, Danny. I'm really excited about the unknown because I think there is a lot of unknown. I believe that after the pandemic, there will likely be a lot of consolidation in the industry. I also believe that there is a lot of pent up innovation waiting for an outlet. And I, you know, I was speaking to somebody about pandemics in general and uh, talking about the Spanish flu from the last century and how after the Spanish flu, there was an absolute explosion of creativity and innovation. We were talking mostly about art, but you mm -hmm. can say the same thing for business, I believe. And I actually think that post-pandemic, we're going to see another explosion of innovation, which will be unheralded. Un we're not thinking about it right now, but it's going to come. And I'm really excited about that. Of course, Libra and their stablecoin idea has fostered a lot of controversy and discussion among central banks. So the Canadian Central Bank, Bank of Canada, is exploring a central bank digital currency, which is very innovative and exciting. And Payments Canada is looking to collaborate and do its part and understand what that might look like. And also when we get to real-time payments, then the next step, of course, uh, an extension of that will be real-time cross-border international payments. And I think that innovation will spawn all sorts of new ideas and new possibilities, as will uh, digital ID, as will um, open banking, which is another thing that, that you know, there was some hiatus earlier in the year on open banking within the government, just dealing with the pandemic and all of the economic consequences of that. However, in the fall, just, just now, actually, there are ongoing consultations about open banking and what it means in Canada and, and how to move forward in a Canadian way with open banking. And that will offer all sorts of opportunities and possibilities for innovation and to build Canadian competitiveness. It's a really exciting time. That's a lot of really good news to hear. And I feel like this is really going to help Canadian businesses go global, especially, you know, with the cross-border initiatives there, because I know that's always been something that a lot of vendors and a lot of organizations have been troubles with, you know, being able to reach global markets in that scale. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So there, there are a lot of exciting developments to come. And I'm Super excited about the ones that we haven't even heard of yet. Yes, let's see what happens. And honestly, I love your point about um, how post-Spanish flu, there was like an influx in creativity and art. And I feel like a lot of times entrepreneurship is a sort of art where you see an opportunity to make something more beautiful or to optimize something. And then you, you plug that hole with like a solution that solves that problem. Absolutely. It's the visionaries, right? It's just a different form of visionary application. I firmly agree that... Uh, 
entrepreneurs, entrepreneurship, innovation is as much art as it is maybe based in science, but it's somebody that has the vision to apply their knowledge in a new and, and novel way that hasn't been thought of before. And, and to me, what's more artful than that? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. And I know you're such a big supporter of sustainability as well. So what does sustainability and finance mean to you and how can organizations become more sustainable in their ways? Well, that's a good one. And it's one that uh, I think about often in the, my current role. And part of it is we can be more thoughtful about how we spend money, first of all, uh, and what the environmental implications of that spend is. I think a lot about the regional differences within Canada and our need to ensure that we think very carefully about how Canada moves forward in an innovative uh, in an innovative way to solve climate issues and environmental issues. So, working with Alberta in uh, transition, oil's not going anywhere soon. So, how can we make the most uh, energy efficient vehicles? How can we have the most energy efficient way of extracting? oil while we still need it and support those companies investing in transition to a greener solution. And I know there's a lot of innovation going on there. That's exciting. How do we remove paper and save our forests? So that's an easy one. And certainly removal of checks will do a lot of that. Not only that, but it will reduce transportation as there won't be as much snail mail and delivery and so forth that actually is a uh, requires a lot of transportation spend and Canada is a huge country. So the, the Institute of Sustainable Finance came out recently with a report, the first one in Canada that actually applied costs to abate our carbon emissions. And not surprisingly, energy was on the list. Transportation was hugely on the list as, you know, neck and neck with energy and transportation figured very largely there as well. And then our buildings are very inefficient. So what kind of spend can we do? How can the government support people in investing in their homes to make them more energy efficient, as well as our commercial buildings and uh, you know, municipal buildings and so forth? How do we make them more energy efficient? And while the number is big, I don't have it off the top of my head, but while the number is big, it's actually not unattainable between government and private sector working together to get there over the next 10 years or so. I love that. And I think it's all about that teamwork, right? And I'm very proud to be a Canadian at this time. And I think like Canada is one of the most forward thinking economies when it comes to being sustainable, both from a government perspective and also from business practices. Couldn't agree more. And I, I just look forward to seeing more of the same from a financial sector perspective, our big banks are now investing as well. And then if you think of all of the huge investment portfolios, we have global investment portfolios in Canada with our large and really well-run pension plans, our public sector pension plans, and our banks. We have global uh, investment portfolios and taking a very active stand on working with the management of those companies in which those pension plans and banks and so forth uh, invest is really important to moving forward in a global way. And Canada can certainly do our part because we have some extremely large 
funds making investments globally. So that that's that's really exciting for the next step. And I know certainly pension plans have been very active in this space and doing a lot of work on sustainability, how to have carbon budgets in their investments, as an example, how to value on a number of different factors, not just shorter term payback, but on a number of factors related to sustainability. How do you value the relative benefits of an investment versus not? And and in some cases, the decision to divest uh, where it makes sense. So a couple of areas where divestment has been undertaken are in tobacco products, in munitions that the, the sole purpose is very destructive. So thinking landmines as well as cluster munitions. So taking an active step there. And I, I think those decisions are really big ones and really important ones to be thoughtful about. And we're fortunate in Canada to have such strong governance within our pension plans and our financial institutions and investment houses. Well, Pamela, I know we're nearing the end of the conversation here and I don't want to keep you for too long. So maybe we can end it off with one last question here. And I think you've answered it a little bit during one of your earlier answers, but I just wanted to hear if you had a do-over in your career, what would it be? That's a good one too. It's a, it's a bit of a tough one. I'm sorry because of the pandemic, you're hearing my cat screeching in the background. Um, I I think in terms of a career do-over, I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm, I try to be a look forward, no regrets kind of person. I encourage those who I mentor to really look at taking risks early in your career when you don't have responsibilities of house, car, family, what have you. I'm a big believer in trying a number of things. And I did. And it, and I, it definitely made my career more challenging at the beginning, but I'm very satisfied with uh, how it's progressed. And so I'm, I'm delighted about that. I maybe would have wished to take more risk earlier in my career and uh, probably an international posting. That would have been great. I've been to the States a couple of times, but I would have loved to have the experience of going going overseas. Well, you're already making a lot of really great um, contributions to Canada. So I feel like if you went to the States, we would have lost you. That's very kind and I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Pamela. Um, this was a really awesome conversation. I think it's a really positive podcast episode to listen to after all of the, you know, negativity in 2020 and all of the learnings and challenges, I feel like we can definitely embrace 2021 with some hope and, you know, looking forward to seeing what happens in the space of payments innovation. Thank you. Likewise. So thank you so much for having me on your show, Danny. I hope your listeners enjoy it and uh, I look forward to connecting again. Thank you so much, Pamela. Bye now. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of today. If you like this podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss another great guest. We'd also appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on iTunes for the Apple listeners out there. This podcast is sponsored by Procurify, a spend management solution that is making managing business spend simple. I know there's still a lot of you that are using spreadsheets, credit cards, and expense forms, or a mix of the above. Perhaps you're still using a procurement module in your ERP that is clunky and outdated. Procurify helps you implement proactive controls so that purchases are tracked and approved by the right person before it hits accounts payable. 
never have to worry about a surprise invoice ever again. There's a reason why over 400 customers around the world love us. Our award-winning, easy-to-use system is loved by people everywhere. It's actually a purchasing system that your employees will actually want to use. Believe it or not, check us out at Procurify.com. So that's www.procurify.com and mention the podcast for a sweet listener special on our packages. Mm-hmm.